Well, good morning. Good to see you today. Welcome home. We are so glad that you are here this morning. And uh, we want to welcome those that are online uh, watching as well. What an exciting day today. I want to just share with you a couple of great things that have been happening this morning just to kind of celebrate. Uh, My name is Kyle, and I'm one of the pastors here. And today, our Pitt State students are back, and we want to welcome them and welcome any families that are here today. Let's greet them and just welcome them today. Wanted to also celebrate that yesterday... Pastor Adam and Pastor Roberto uh, baptized five uh, folks from the Hispanic ministry yesterday. And so we give God the praise for that. That is awesome. Let's give the Lord a hand for that as well. We also celebrate that tomorrow the homestead, uh, which is our college house, a couple years, or about a year and a half ago, we bought this house over here and flipped it, and it's a college house now, and it's open during the week and, and on the weekend, and so it opens tomorrow, and so be in prayer about that. We celebrate the extra volunteers uh, that we have, and actually, at the end of this service, uh, right at this door here, Pastor Age, he's the drummer with the hat on today, he is given tours of the homestead, so if you uh, are a college student or a parent of a college student, or you've just not seen it, and you want to go over and see it and get with Age, and he'll walk you over there. So that's exciting. And then next week, we're revealing our five-year plan at the Bicknell Center. I'm excited. God's going to be doing some amazing things over the next five years. And so you'll want to be there, as Steve mentioned. Invite, invite, invite. Uh, encourage you to, to bring someone with you and invite them uh, to the Bicknell Center. We are wrapping up today our series called Amazing Faith. And we've been learning that God's purpose for us is to trust Him. And essentially what we've been saying is in life, amazing faith means ignoring the math and following the master. Say that with me. Ignoring the math and following the master. And the question that we've been asking for the last couple of weeks and again today is, in what area of your life is God calling you to stop doing the math? Stop crunching the numbers. Stop looking at the cancer report. Stop focusing on the fact that your marriage isn't working. Stop worrying about what's going to happen next and just start following and trusting God. Sometimes that's hard to do. Uh, I have three kids and my youngest son is named Luke and he's five years old and he's in kindergarten this year. And this summer, uh, when the summer began, Luke had no idea how to swim and We've got friends and family that have pools, and so we've always worried, because Luke never sits still, that he's going to fall in the pool, and at a minimum, we want him to learn how to at least swim to the side. And so we were at Grandma's, and and Luke's got his floaties on, and he's in the pool, and Whitney's inside, so I know she's not going to be worried. And so I said, hey, bud, why don't you take those floaties off? He's like, but I can't swim. And I said, I know, buddy, I'm going to teach you how to swim, and your mom's not out here to worry about it, so take your, take your floaties off. And so we begin to go through that process, and 10 minutes later, he's like doggy paddling, swimming. And Wit comes out and sees his little head above the water, and she's like, Kyle, he, he's swimming. I said, yeah, he is. And over the course of the summertime, he began to learn and to learn and to swim. And Luke goes, is going to go to George Nettles over here, and they were having a back-to-school party at the at the swimming pool at the aquatic center and I don't go to those because no one needs to see that but long story short Whitney was there with the kids and she came home and she showed me this video of Luke 
jumping off the diving board into the water. And, and what you see, I remember at the first of the summer, all this fear and anxiety is replaced with just excitement and confidence. And he doesn't know that the pool's 12 feet deep. And he doesn't know he can miss the diving board. And he doesn't know, you know, what he doesn't know. And he's running down the, this diving board and he's just happy. And he jumps, you know, and Whitney had it in slow-mo mode so you can kind of see it. And he lands in the water and the video goes back to normal. And he says, I want to do it again. And I was thinking about that because in our lives sometimes, we don't know what we're capable of until we can actually accomplish it. And sometimes we can be paralyzed with fear. Every person in here, whether you're with fear now, you have been with fear at some point in your life. And if you haven't yet, you will be. And yet God calls us in the midst of fear to have faith. In fact, we ask this question, how in the world does God get the credit if the math always works out? We've been saying really is, really, that if you can rationalize it on paper and it it makes sense on paper, then who really gets the credit? You do or I do. See, God-sized faith is trusting God, is leaning into Him, is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. You see, there are times in our life where He calls us to move away from the shallow where our feet can touch and into the deep with God as our guide. Some of us have experienced what that's like. There are times where he, we aren't going to know what the first, second step is until we take the first step. Today, as we wrap the series up, we're going to be looking at less is more. God wants to take your less and make more. God wants to take your less and make more. Amazing faith realizes that less is more. And sometimes God stacks the deck so he can reveal his glory. Do you feel like life is stacked against you? You aren't the only one that has felt that way. I want to tell you a a Bible story. It's the story of Gideon. Some of us aren't familiar with that story. Some of us may be familiar with that story. But in, in the book of Judges, which is towards the front of the Bible, there's a story about this farmer named Gideon. And Gideon's like all of us. I really can relate to Gideon, and most of us will if we once we hear this story, but Gideon was just a farmer who was filled with fear. And the reason that he was filled with fear is because his nation, Israel, God's chosen people from the Old Testament, they are being attacked. In fact, um, what's taking place is, is because Israel has sinned over and over and over and forgotten God and allowed false idols to come in and, and people have just, you know, vision leaks And they've just over time forgot who God was and what he's brought them through. And they begin to follow other gods and God gets tired of it. You ever warned your kids over and over and over? I'm going to tell you something. You do it again. Or what? You're going to find out. And God begins to warn and they don't listen. And so what happens is God says, all right, all these people that are attacking you, I'm just going to let it happen. And they begin to pillage the land and they basically take over the town and <clears throat> they take all their crops every time it's harvest time. They, they, they steal all their stuff and they're, they're kind of left to starve and they're hiding in caves. And 
The people that have come into the land, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they're cruel. And so basically, it's just this horrible situation. And I don't know if one of them starts to remember, like, didn't God deliver us in the past when Moses, you know, our ancestors tell us that Moses with the, he stretched the staff out and the sea parted. And didn't God provide for us in the desert? And, you know, I'm told way long ago that God provided for Noah with a boat. And, and, and how does that happen? And, oh, yeah, it's through repentance. And so they begin to cry out to God, God, we messed up. Save us. And God hears their cry, their humble cry. And he goes to this farmer named Gideon, the guy we're talking about for a couple minutes today. And Gideon is nobody special. I mean, if you were going to pick somebody... He's nobody special. He's ordinary. In fact, just like our vision says, when we connect the ordinary with the extraordinary, amazing things happen. And so God, he begins to go to this place where Gideon is, and he finds Gideon hiding in fear in a wine press, of all things, which is kind of down in the ground, and he's in there trying to, to thresh some wheat and, and have some food and and God, the angel of God comes to him and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. The New Living Translation says, Greetings, mighty hero. Somebody who's cowering in fear is not somebody that I would consider a hero or a warrior. And yet, the angel of God refers to him that way. And he begins to lay this plan out. Hey, Gideon, I've chosen you to deliver the Israelite people from the hands of the Midianites and the Amalekites. And Gideon's like, I'm sorry, what? Me? I'm the weakest in my family, and our family has the weakest tribe. No, 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 no. And God's like, yeah, you. And Gideon's like, all right, if it's really you, then make this happen. And God says, okay. And so he makes it happen. You can read about it. And he goes, okay, do the opposite of that the next time. And so he does. And Gideon's like, okay, and at some point Gideon becomes convinced and he's full of faith rather than fear, and he says, okay, I'm going to go and I'll do what you say. And God's first thing out of the gate is, before I give you the plans, you need to tear down your father's idols. You need to tear down those things in, in, your, in, in, Israel, in Israel's life and in, in the idols in their life that's causing this problem, this separation. I want you to tear it down and I want you to build up my altar. And so he does. And then he says, I want you to get a bunch of people together and we're going to fight. And so Gideon gets 32,000 folks to fight. Now, that seems like a lot, but here's the deal. They're fighting 135,000 folks. There's 135,000 people. You know, the town of Pittsburgh is 20,000. Imagine if 135,000 people came in and took over and we're only 20,000, right? Right? So Gideon begins to do the math, and he's like, well, 32,000 up against 135,000, that's some pretty bad math. And God says, I got something else for you. Yeah. Tell anybody in your army that's afraid to fight, they don't have to fight, they can go home. And Gideon's like, okay. I'm sure there's nobody here that's afraid. But if you're afraid to fight, you can leave. And people are like, all right. <laughs> 
22,000 folks leave. So there's 10,000 left. And if you're doing the math, you're thinking to yourself, okay, God, you know, I know 22,000, these 22,000 were full of fear, but I mean, at least they're help. And now they're gone. And so I've got 10,000. Well, the positive is, is they're all brave or they would have left. So we've got 10,000 brave folks to fight 135,000. We're in trouble. And God says, I'm not done. We still have too many. Once you take them down to the river, every single person that laps the water up like a dog, tell them they're done. The ones who kneel down and are paying attention and drink the water, this way, keep them. All right. 9,700 men did it the wrong way and leave. If you're a mathematician, that leaves... 300 folks. 300 versus 135,000. Talk about ignoring the math and following the master. So at this point, God says, all right, that's my number. That's, this is my math. Because here's what you're going to do. All those guys, 135,000, they're down there in the valley. It's the changing of the guard. It's about midnight. They're down there sleeping, got their boots kicked off, just watching some late night. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide into groups of 100, have every person take a a horn and and a pot and a torch or whatever, and I want you to go around the the camp. And so he's like, all right. And so they go around the the camp, and they bang on the pot, and they blow the horn, and they light the torch, and now all of a sudden they all think that they're surrounded by a whole sea of of army when really there's only 300 of them. And the people, the enemies, they wake up and they're like seeing all these torches and hearing all these pots banging, which sounds like a a ton of people, and and they think there's, you know, I don't know how many they think they are, but they think there's more than there's there's there. And these 135,000 people turn on each other and they begin to to fight each other, and they begin to kind of take care of themselves, and what's left begins to retreat. And God defeats 135,000, hopefully I got all those details right, with only 300. And in our lives, we may start with 32,000, and we already do the math and say 135,000 is what life is requiring out of me and I don't have enough and God says this is going to happen or, or something else happens to you and now it's 10,000 and now you, this is going backwards in your life and now you're down to 300 and there are some of us in here today that you feel like life requires 135,000 and you only have 300 and you're sitting here today thinking what am I going to do how do I get out of this what's the what's the what kind of a math equation works out this way And just like in Gideon's situation, God is calling us to ignore the math and follow the master. So we can learn some takeaways today from this story. We see right out of the gate that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. That's what started the whole problem in the first place. So the Lord allows them to suffer for seven years. You see, sin leads to heartache every time. Sin 
leads to heartache every time. Say that with me. Sin leads to heartache every time. We see this cycle throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament as well. When we put something else other than God first in our life, life never works out the way that God intends it. So put and keep God first in your life. Some of us, I, I grew up around church and I always went to church, but I didn't follow God. I, I just followed my parents. And even though I was hearing the things that I'm saying today, it never registered in my life until I got to this place that I was so miserable and so broken and looking for answers that I began to realize that really and truly I have been putting these other things besides God first, and that was creating the issue. And I needed to do the same thing that Israel was doing. They had been reduced to starvation and they began to cry out to God. What they began to do was repent. You see, repentance is always the first step in the right direction. How do I get life to make sense for me? How do I, how do I, what's the way out here? How do I get God to hear my prayers? It begins with repentance. It's the first step in the right direction. My wife and I have been married. It'll be 20 years next year. Yeah, get that right. And imagine if I had done something horrible to her, and then I walk in the house and pretend like that didn't happen, and then just want to talk about the weather. See, I have to repent of what I did. I have to make some restitution for what took place before anything else is going to get accomplished. And when we don't follow God and we allow sin and other things into our lives, and yet we, you know, when you put that aside, and yet we still want God's favor and we want God's blessing and we want God's plan in our life, and God's like, I want to give that to you. But you got to deal with this pornography over here. You got to deal with this sin that no one knows about. You got to deal with this addiction that you're struggling with. You got to let go of this grudgeful heart that you have towards somebody else. You want me to forgive you, but you don't want to forgive what happened. And so rather than waiting seven years the way that the Israel did in this story, or sometimes 70 years for some of us, we can make things right with God now. I don't know how you are, but I'm the type of person, if I know something's not right with me and someone else, I can't sleep. And there are times where I try to make it right, but the other person doesn't want to make it right. And there's not much I can do other than to do my part to make it right with God and make it right with them. And in the same way that they cried out in distress and say, God, we, we stink, we made a bad choice, we let these gods in and we, we realize that you're, you're God and, and we shouldn't have done this. And we ask that you would deliver us until we get to that point where we acknowledge that we can't fix it. We can't make this better. I can't make my spouse love me. I can't I don't have the smarts to figure out how to get out of this debt. 
I, I don't know how to go in and heal that cancer or, or help me get over this situation that seems like there's no way. I don't know how, but Lord, I acknowledge you do. We also struggle with inferiority problems sometimes. Gideon says, how can I rescue Israel? I'm, I'm the weakest and I'm from the poorest tribe and I have nothing to offer. I am not capable. I can relate to that. There are so many times where I, I'll just go first, where I feel so inadequate to do what I do. The person that was before me, Pastor Jim, had done it 35 years, and he's a saint. And I don't see myself that way. I'm the weakest. I'm the one who has a temper. I'm the one that gets frustrated. And you can relate to that. Because we all, I don't care how prideful we are, even if we've never told anybody before, we have all at some point felt like we aren't enough. And if you told me differently, I wouldn't believe you. But what God sees, not what you and I see, is all that matters. Middle school is hard for girls. We went to Teresa Bailey, who's the counselor at the middle school, when we adopted the middle school. Uh, the first year we did shoes, and then we did backpacks, and then she had this project that just didn't seem like it was that big of a deal, but yet she was really, you know, intentional about it. I said, is this all you want us to do? She said, I want your church to go in and, and paint sayings on the bathroom walls, especially the girls' bathrooms that say, you're beautiful, what you think of yourself matters more than what other people think. All these positive things. She said at that age, I mean, guys too, but there's such a self-esteem thing going on. Their bodies are changing and, and it's all about what you look like and if you can run and if, you can, if you're smart and if you're good at things. And, and, and people around you, they take a vote whether or not you're worth anything. And no matter how much sometimes we tell our kids... It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you think and what you know to be true. And honestly, you know who authored that? It's not your parents. It's not Oprah. It's God. Genesis 127. For we were created in the image of God. What God sees is not an alcoholic or someone who's addicted or someone who's been divorced five times or someone with a past or someone who isn't a nice person. What God sees is someone who is created in his image that may or may not be separated from God. And because they may or may not be separated from God, they don't see themselves and the purpose for their life the way that I see it. But if they would connect themselves to me, I would give them input into them, my thinking, because be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as they connect themselves to me, their mind begins to form into my mind and they begin to see themselves and others 
through my eyes. That's why I want them to adopt God's vision for them. And he wants that for you. We have several folks in our church that are in foster care, and they're heroes to me. See, I didn't choose who my kids are. I'm glad I have them. I love them. But they were given to me. If you're an adopted child or you're a foster care child, it's cool because you were chosen. Someone didn't have to, and they did anyway. If you don't like the opinion that others have of you, and you're not too keen on what you think of you, good news. Through a relationship with Jesus, you can adopt and choose what God sees in you. And live your life as God's heir. So we see in this story, he says, before, before we do anything, you need to take down your, the altars. You need to take down these false idols. Now, here's, here's the catch. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be real with you today. Because this has been kind of a feel-good message up to this point. The reason that they came in and they pillaged the land and the reason that you guys have been hiding in caves and the reason you're starving is not because of them. It's because of you. It's because of your sin, and it's because you've put something else ahead of God. And by the way, your uncle Moses did it. Your grandfather Abraham's clan did it. The people of Noah's day did it. I mean, there's a cycle here. But how many of us have a parent or somebody in our life that's consistent? The other day, I heard Whitney go, just ask your dad. And Noah goes, I know what he's going to say. He's going to say no. He knows that I'm not going to budge on certain things. And you can take it to the bank through reading scripture that where we begin to drift from God is when we put something else or someone else above God every single time. And so God says, before we're going to fulfill this plan, before I'm going to bless you, and, and bring, give you favor, you need to cut down the altar that your daddy's generation built and build the altar that I tell you to build. Pastor Dylan, who used to go to church here, used to be the youth pastor here several, a few years ago. Dylan, we talk all the time, and their church is going like crazy, and they're getting ready to do some amazing things coming up. And Dylan grew up in a family that was separated from God and family members were addicted to drugs. He shared this story lots of times when he was here. And Dylan would say that there was that generational curse in his family and God kind of picked him and he felt like God was just talking to him and began to call him out of that family generational sin. And he was essentially what God was telling Dylan was, before you can build God's altar you have to tear down your altar. You have to tear down the, the generational altar. And that happens through relationship with God. You see, in your life, before you can begin to have the faith to trust God and step out of the boat, you have to know him. 
The reason that a little kid will jump into your arms is not because he just jumps into anybody's arms. It's because you've caught him over and over, and so he doesn't worry about it. Faith happens through relationship with God, and yet once that begins to happen, he calls us to deal with some stuff. And as we tear those altars down, amazing things begin to happen. So we have to put God in the center of our life rather than ourselves. If you don't hear anything else I say today or any other sermon ever, if you never walk into here again, the most important thing that any preacher could ever say at any point in any time is that you would put and keep God in the center of your life. It will take care of every other thing that you struggle with. It's not just God having a seat on the bus. It's allowing him to drive the bus and not backseat drive. So we see that God tells Gideon, he whittles it down to 300 men. And he tells him, I'm going to give you victory over the Midianites. And you send all the others home. And 9,700 go home and he's left with 300 people. And they defeat the Midianites. And what we can learn today from all of this is that you don't need great odds when you follow our great God. In your life, you don't need great odds when you follow our great God. It's what we've been saying this whole series. It's ignoring the math and following the master. What area in your life, as we're wrapping this series up today, Are you filled with anxiety and worry and doubt? Can I just say right now that following God doesn't mean you're not going to have turmoil and cancer and death and strife and struggle. Many of you may not know who Betty Ledford is. Some of you might. But Betty had been a part of our church a long time and Betty had faith, and Betty had struggles. Cancer returned three different times, and she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I mean, life sometimes is not fair. Faith is not sunshine. Faith is trust even when there's not sunshine. Don't trust in your abilities. That's what Gideon was saying. I don't I'm nothing. I am literally nothing. I have nothing to offer. I don't even, I'm not a military guy. I'm a farmer. Don't trust in your abilities. Have confidence in God's abilities. Don't trust in your abilities. Have confidence in God's abilities. I've never been divorced before. I've never been a single parent before. I've never been in this kind of credit card debt before. I've never, I never thought that when we were going to get married that we were going to have these issues. I I never thought that my child was going to struggle and and make these decisions. I never thought that at 55 years old the doctor would say that. I've never been here before. I don't have anything to offer this place.
don't have to have confidence in yourself. Truth be told, you don't have anything and I don't have anything that compares to God anyway. Have confidence in God and his ability. And that happens, hear me guys, that happens through walking with God, not just on Sunday morning for an hour or 20 minutes listening to me. It happens because you get up tomorrow morning and you get on your face before God and you say, Lord, as boring or as hard or as easy as this day is getting ready to be, you are first. And Tuesday and Wednesday and so on. In what area of your life is God asking you to stop doing the math and start following the master? So we have these cards on the cross here. And they just simply have a statement on them. I will have faith in God. And take, I'm asking those who'd like, take that card, if that's your belief. And when it comes to whatever's on your heart right now, maybe there's a lot, so this won't be enough space, but right on the back, the areas that you struggle to have faith in, you can put it in your purse, you put it in your wallet, you can leave it next to your nightstand, you can put it at work, wherever. See, faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. Marriages end because people think that they're based on feelings. It's a choice. Sometimes even our walk with God, we tend to chuck it because we don't, we're not at camp anymore and God's not working or, or we haven't had a, a pastor hasn't preached a real good message anymore. They didn't pick the songs that I like and so I haven't really felt God's presence anymore. And so you know what? Forget that. Guys, our life with God is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do us but we don't apart do we we spend eternity in heaven so this morning as we stand together during this song if your heart's prayer is that you will choose today not because you feel like it not because today's a good day but because you choose I will have faith in God and if you want to write on the back of it something God's saying to you write it on the back but it's just simply a reminder I mean, just walking up to the cross, there's a symbol there of saying, I choose. We're not passing these out today. If you want them, you can come get them. I was looking at the, the waves on the screen there. My sister, Lindsay, when she was little, she would not go past the shallow end where she could touch. It took forever for dad to be able to get her to go into the deep part. Some of us, we've been in the shallows a long time. We're not against God. We're not against church. We may or may not attend a small group, but we get why we have them. I mean, we're not against it. And yet, maybe there's somebody here today that as God's talking to you, He's kind of calling you out into the deep. And I don't know what that means because I don't know your story. And it's hard. I mean you can't touch you got control when you can touch my grandma the other day she said I always wished I could swim 
I said, well, Grandma, you can still learn. She goes, yeah, I could, but I'm not going to. doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. If you'll trust Him, He can take you deeper. He can give you more purpose and fulfillment. But for that to happen, we have to ignore the math. Because the math says, I like it right here in the shallow, because I can control that. But sometimes even it's out of our control. A death happens or something happens. And we're caught in that riptide. We have to trust. Lord Jesus, today I pray that you'd help us to trust you. Father, give us amazing faith. Father, help us to ignore the math. Father, I pray today if there's someone in here that needs to repent the way that Israel was called to repent and we think of that word as a church word, God, and it has all kinds of negative stuff attached to us, Lord, for maybe past experiences in other churches or life. But God, today, repentance is, is not just saying we're sorry, but we're saying we're done with that. We're choosing to walk away from that. So, Father, today, if there's somebody in here who, who they love you, but they also love their idol or their sin or this thing over here that's gripping their life and strangling you out and not giving you enough room, I pray that they would confess that and see that and repent and and receive your grace and your mercy today. Father, may they not focus on 300 or 32,000, but may they fix their eyes on you and see, Lord, that you are bigger and stronger and more gracious and full of mercy, Lord, and victory is in your hands and in nothing else. Father, on the good days and the bad days and the in-between days, may we seek your heart and seek your face and trust you and realize that less is more in our life. God, we thank you and we give you praise for who you are. Father, be with us next week as we go to the Bicknell Center, Father. Father, we're trusting you with what's next. You're calling us from the shallows into the deep for your glory and to reach lost folks. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give.